Welcome back to a new episode of Sustainably Influenced with me, Bianca Foley. And me, Charlotte Williams. This season is all about the people behind the product. In a society where everything has become so disposable and waste is one of the biggest problems affecting our planet, we wanted to go back to a time where what you owned was treasured. Come with us on a journey this season where we chat with experts who are taking us back to a time where craftsmanship and ethical consumption were key, but making it suitable for today's modern society. Right. Hi. Hello, Bianca. Hello. Why did you say that so formally? Hello, Charlotte. How are you? (laughs) This week, we're doing a deep dive into leather. Okay. This is an interesting topic. I think it's one that's filled with controversy yeah it is actually really controversial i'm glad you said i'm glad you said something (laughs) whilst we're on that topic so why are we doing it the global leather goods market is projected to top 128 billion by next year what yes the vegan leather industry is predicted to be worth 89 billion by 2025 that's insane so there's a lot of money in leather yeah Leather's like an old money industry. Yeah. You know, basically, I met someone and I spoke to someone else. I was like, how are they so rich? And they were like, oh, his dad is from a leather family. And I was like, oh, oh, I see. <laughs> oh, I yeah, see. There's, there's love, money in leather. I love that your voice completely changed then. It was like, oh, <laughs> oh, leather. Okay, yeah, so I totally, <laughs> totally understand that. So we're very much into luxury fashion and leather goods ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we have and buy a lot of bags clothes and shoes that are leather products Mm -hmm. across not only animal leather but vegan leather which we'll Mm -hmm. come on to in a bit before we start i want to talk about what our mindset is when it comes Mm -hmm. to leather consumption okay so just to set the tone for the day because there are three types of leather that i'm going to talk about we have animal leather so obviously it comes from an animal vegan leather which is split into two sides so one is a vegan leather that contains plastic so pvc or pu leather which we've spoken about before on the podcast and then another one which is from kind of sustainable fibers a lot of them mushroom leather mushroom leather which we've spoken about which i am obsessed with apple leather is another one which we'll go on to discuss more (laughs) but we have already spoken about on the podcast i would like to know what your thoughts on animal leather okay i own A fair amount of it. Mm -hmm. I've got some vintage. I've got some newer leather. I do think in terms of having something that's going to last, I'd rather have something that is of an animal leather that will last however many X amount of years Mm. that can then probably decompose or be used to make something else compared to something that is made of plastic and peels apart in two to three years and doesn't have the same lifespan. Mic drop. Mic drop. Arms down. Episode done. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm with you completely. I, I'm i not vegan. Mm-hmm. I wear leather goods. I eat animal products and I try to partake in conscious consumption. I don't buy that much leather. Mm. I do actually, I've found in recent years when I have bought leather, it has been PU leather, mm-hmm. which people yeah. class as uh, vegan and it really upsets me because <laughs> I'm like which will come on to the kind of ethics behind. Yeah, because b- before vegan leather was a thing, that PVC and PU existed. Yeah. So, um, or as I call it, leather's cousin. Leather's cousin. <laughs> it's a family thing. We've always said, is that real leather or leather's cousin? Leather's cousin. <laughs> oh, that's so good. But yeah, leather, I really like leather, leather goods. But for me, it's about lasting the test of time. Mm. And I do find that I have leather products in my wardrobe that are vintage, that are from the 50s. 
or like my nan's given me some bags and some bits from her wardrobe that yeah from like 60s 70s and they're still going strong i have a top from the 70s that i bought from ebay maybe 15 years ago Mm. and I think I've worn it once, but it's a leather top, and it's made out of the most beautiful, like, mushroom, taupey colour, and it's just so bad. And it looks better than some of the stuff that I've bought in the past five years. Yeah, leather production in the past was banging. I don't know ethically how great it was, Mm. but in terms (laughs) of the pieces that they produced and that still their end product in terms of... Yeah, it's just a completely different world. Yeah. Completely different. Okay, so I'm glad we uh, we cleared that up. We are leather wearers, leather consumers. So this episode's not going to be biased in any way. It's just going to be open. Yeah. So I'm using an article from The Good Trade, which was written by Leah Thomas, who I'm a very big fan of. And it's called, Is Vegan Leather a More Sustainable Option? Okay. The answer is complicated. Oh, I like that because it really is. It really is. And then there's a supporting article from Harper's Bazaar that Leah actually used in her article, which is around vegan leather sustainability. I really like this article. Mm -hmm. I found it really non-judgmental and very educational. So I'm going to use a lot of the points from this article to kind of talk through leather in general. So as I said, there's three types. I'm going to talk about them backwards. So first of all, we have plastic-free vegan leather. The article did a really good job at walking through the positives and the negatives of each type of leather. Mm -hmm. But what I found is that this type of leather had the least amount of controversy around it. Mm -hmm. So it's scientifically made using natural resources like pineapples, apples, mushrooms, the list goes on. (laughs) There's so many random things that have been used. And it's really... Wild and wonderful, pun intended. But um, that actually was quite funny. That was good for me. Ouch. No, no, you're hilarious. But that was very witty. I mean, that was quick. (laughs) The only thing that was mentioned is that some of the pieces use petroleum-based products to hold the fibers together. So depending on you know if it's a bag or trousers, whatever, they have to use something to stick mm. it together so that's just yeah one. there has to be some form of bonding doesn't there? yeah so yeah but it's significantly less than pvc leather so okay. that's just one thing there we actually had jenny omaniva founder of bean london on season five episode one talking about the different kinds of leathers that have been created out of wild and wonderful things like mushrooms and apple and pineapple and all of these cool things so i would head to that episode if you want to find out more about plastic-free vegan leather because that was a really, really good episode. Okay, so now let's move on Mm -hmm. to the more controversial side of the vegan leather industry and let's talk about PU and PVC leather. Every time I hear PU, I think, ooh, PU, (laughs) every time. (laughs) I find this controversial for so many reasons. So Peter, as an example, and Mm -hmm. I'm not there's no slagging off here, but this is just facts, okay? So When you said Peter, I was like, who? <laughs> you know, Peter, that guy. No, P-E-T-A. Peter, Peter. Oh, what's um, wrong with me today? The Animal Rights Organisation. I know who you meant. So them, as well as other organisations, are really pushing for the use of vegan leather mm-hmm. in fashion production rather than using animal animal. Products. And they basically are saying there should be no room for animal products in fashion, which, you know, with... Science, that is true, actually. That's kind of how fur got 
ousted yeah. though, or across. I shouldn't say completely ousted. No, it's still you very much kind of a goose. Still still going strong. So they're all for let's not use animals. Yeah. But that also means that if you've got like a vintage piece of leather, mm. they're like, no, you can't wear that. In their defense, leather does biodegrade. So yeah. you could just let it go. But there's so many pieces of clothing that could be reused there. So I'm a bit like on the fence of, I'm not on the fence. I don't actually agree. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I'm not on the fence. <laughs> no I don't agree. I knock the fence down. Yeah, I guess if you're vegan, you don't believe in using animal products. I get it. But if you're into sustainability, I don't think those two can link. They're not mutually exclusive, are they? They don't exist yes. together. You and can here's be, the nuance, yeah. right? Between just the term sustainability, between ethics or like personal ethics, because mm. I think animal rights come into ethical consumption Whereas sustainability can also talk about environment. Mm -hmm. So reusing leather goods from the past, it's an environmental sustainability process. Yep. Whereas not wearing fur and animal goods and leather is an ethical sustainability kind of idea. And they don't quite link in terms of sustainability full stop. Do you know what I mean? Basically, I'm finding it quite difficult because... Veganism isn't always environmentally friendly. Yeah, totally agree. And you see that in food production as well. So it's a bit like, oh, it's kind of sticky. I think, but as we've said time and time again, here, offline, quoted in press and other things, it's a very personal decision. The thing yeah. is, you have to do what's right for you. And there's always going to be somebody who's unhappy. So try to do your best. Yeah. Like, there's nothing more you can really do. Exactly. So there's a lot of controversy around just the term vegan leather itself. So a lot Mm -hmm. of brands are using PU and PVC leather for creating leather products. And a lot of luxury brands, really high-end ones, like Nanushka uses exclusively. is exclusively vegan leather, yeah. Which is really cool. I read a quote from, I think it was their director, who basically said, you know, it shows that it can be a luxury product because... Some of their pieces are as soft and as good as animal leather, mm. which is really interesting. And then Regina Pio uses a lot of leather um, mm. in her collection. PVC, PU, or both. Okay. So she tends to use PVC or PU, I'm not sure which one, in the clothing production, but then for accessories, she'd use leather um, leather. animal leather. I'm not sure why, but it's, I find that quite interesting. But In terms of probably durability and. Yeah manufacture because mm. maybe it's not as easy to make something that is as long lasting in something that isn't pliable essentially well it is they manufactured it to become as soft as but maybe there's something in the production side there yeah i think durability is a big point yeah. there but a lot of these brands aren't using the term vegan leather but also do you not think it's a mindset thing a lot of people see and i will put my hands up and say this that i think i used to think like this that i equate animal leather in accessories especially shoes and bags Mm. as being a better quality that I'm then paying my money for something that's going to last me an eternity yeah rather than thinking oh it's just plastic yeah it's so true so I just wonder if that is part of a mindset because that's what we're used to and that's what we've been told for donkey's years oh so it's difficult to to push away from it the bigger issue with this plastic leather (laughs) plastic leather is that it's um it's plastic yeah. So obviously using plastic isn't great. It doesn't have the same properties as a natural fiber, so it's mm-hmm. not going to biodegrade or it will just 
not in, the same rate in thousands of years time it has a lot of contribution to ocean pollution mm-hmm. i have a quote it's estimated that 13 million tons of synthetic fibers enter our oceans each year mm, that makes my tummy hurt <laughs> so that really made my tummy hurt <laughs> that's toxic chemicals going into the ocean and polluting our waters and you know what? consequently one, our animals one, and us one day one of the big whales is going to mutate into the kraken and we're going to actually see like some supersonic like something come out of the water i'm oh telling you God. from all the stuff that it's ingested you're not wrong <laughs> i'm just um you know me I'll, I'll say it like it is you're not wrong so these products are contributing to negatives to the environment mm-hmm. so as good as it is for you know animals there's an issue there with the environment and not only during their lifespan but after the effects will continue mm. so that's quite difficult but you know it's not all doom and gloom so there are ways that you can stop microplastics going into the ocean going to landfill and things like that so we're going to hear now from nina hopkins who's the founder of jackie jackie are a cruelty-free faux fur fashion brand who also work with vegan leather nina thank you so much for joining us today thanks for having me So I'm a big fan of Jackie. Why did you get into the the faux fur and the vegan leather world? Because there's so many kind of materials you could make clothing from. Yeah. So I've worked in outerwear for many years, designing for the high street. And I started Jackie in 2015 because I kind of saw a gap in the market between sort of high end real fur and like really low end synthetic fabric. So essentially, we started off as a vegan brand. I'm a lover of animals. And upon lots of visits to China, I just became aware that we were still wearing real fur. And I just knew that there was product out there that was the same warmth, the same kind of look as real fur. And so I started Jackie basically, yeah, as a vegan brand. But then years ahead, consumers are now really concerned with sustainability and their decision making. So years ahead now, we've had to look at you know, the fabric we're using in terms of faux fur and that has evolved onto other things now. So talk me through vegan leather specifically. So how easy is it to source and what is that like? There's so much polyester out there and it can't really go anywhere. So it has to be reused. Exactly. It does have to be reused, but you have to make sure it's come from a post-consumer plastic because There's all this talk now that recycled polyester is actually worse than virgin polyester. And that's like going into a whole new ballgame because apparently now people are making plastic bottles for the use of them being recycled. Yeah. And then, you know, calling it recycled plastic. So they're not post-consumer. So they haven't been collected from the ocean. They're not secondhand. They're like produced specifically so that you can say it's been made from plastic bottles, which is crazy. So it has to be post-consumer plastic. Our PU, polyurethane, is essentially a plastic coating that goes on top of a base fabric. In our case, that is recycled polyester that comes from post-consumer plastic. So we're always trying to be that little bit better than we were before. Our positives of using vegan leather, basically because we're essentially a vegan brand. So for us, it's really important that we're not using animals in any of our products. Looking at the stats, it is sort of pretty much on par that leather and fake leather have the same sort of impact to the environment. So I got some information from the Collective Fashion Justice. Their mission is to create a fashion system that prioritises the life and well-being of humans, animals and planets. 
They use like a sustainability index to assess and track sustainability of fashion materials. And they've looked at a cow leather jacket and they've looked at a PU or vegan leather jacket. And obviously, well, the outcome is that it takes four to five times more CO2 emissions to produce a cow leather jacket. Even though there's arguments for both, it just gives me that little bit more incentive to carry on using PU. That's really interesting. Yeah, there's such conflicting arguments against different types of leather. And much like anything in fashion, there's negatives to everything and there's positives to everything. So it's just up to the consumer to make the decision. I think it's a good subject to discuss, but it really is a minefield because it really is up to the customer. It really depends on what their morals are and what they perceive to be more important. But as I was saying before, there are sort of alternatives to the plastic PU. There's a better side of it. So there's a PU that's called a water-based PU and it uses less chemicals. It replaces a chemical called DMF, which is quite harmful, that's in, an, in a regular vegan leather and it replaces it with water. So that's something we're looking at. And there's also a coffee bean. I don't know if anyone's mentioned that before, but we've got for our pre-spring collection, we've got a coffee PU that's made from 30% coffee beans. So it's the same sort of process where it's like a coating on the backing of recycled polyester, but 30% of it is made from coffee beans and they're sort of blended together with the, the, the polyurethane. And again, so it's not perfect. It's still got plastic in it, but we're 30% better than we were before so basically like I say it's a minefield but we're always trying to source better materials the perfect thing would be to be plant-based but they're just not quite there yet maybe a shoe collection or a bag collection because the sort of plant-based leather they're quite rigid still so it doesn't really work again if you want a floaty kind of mac or something like that it doesn't kind of lend itself to that So we're still developing, but as soon as something like that would be available, you know, we'd jump on it. I want to use, you know, the most environmental fabrics we can, but it's just not always possible. Yeah. Oh God, it must be so difficult. Like what's accessible to you and then also to your audience. So now let's talk about animal leather. So we've done it backwards for this exact reason. Animal leather is the most controversial because... Obviously, killing animals. There's a lot of talk about leather being a byproduct of the meat industry. Of the meat industry, but actually, that's not necessarily true, and okay. it's been claimed as a co-product. Um, yeah, that by a makes few more sense to me because you can't always tell whether leather or animal fibers in general are being used as a result of meats being taken from the animal. Mm. It could have been the other separate. Way. Yeah. Yeah. That's something to think about. We're mm. really pushed this, oh, the, the animals are going to die anyway. So let's just use their, their hide for designer bags. <laughs> As you're saying that, all I'm thinking is eat cow, wear cow. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it comes you know? across. Very simple, like to the point. <laughs> but it's not necessary that, no, that way around. No, it's not. But something about leather is it does last a lifetime. Yeah. The negatives are around how it's, manufactured Mm -hmm. and produced there are different types of leather productions so to create leather it has to be tanned um so that the hide doesn't rot and that is i've been to a tannery have you yeah i went to one in morocco what was it like stunk really (laughs) really stinks (laughs) it's all the chemicals that they use to 
dye and stretch the leather to kind of lay it out. And it's just this intense smell. And they were still using very old traditional Berber methods, I believe, to do it. And yeah. Oh, interesting. It was very cool, obviously, because they leave Mm. everything outside and it dries out in the sun. And the leather's beautiful, but all I can remember is that smell. (laughs) But there are different ways of, of tanning. So you have the chrome tanning where you have to put the leather in a chromium salt bath. Yeah. Which is highly toxic, mm-hmm. which is really bad for... But it makes it the softest, apparently, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. But, you know, also kills people in the yeah. production process. <laughs> it's I mean, really bad. It's like cancer, soft leather. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those. Yeah. And then also going into your water supply, it's not great. And then there's vegetable tanning, which is an ancient practice. So yeah. that might have been what the Berbers used. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I feel like that's what it was, but don't quote me. So they're derived from plant chemicals to purify the hides, but it's less common because it's more expensive. But you think the amount of money we pay for like, let's think about a Chanel bag. I don't know how that's made, but I would hope that it was made through a vegetable tanning process. I hope that they hand stitch and hand dye each individual piece for that cost. Because the inflation on them bags, that'd be crazy, yo. (laughs) You'd think... That that tanning process is is more expensive, so you think that your spenny goods, like a Chanel bag, would actually be tanned in a, a more ethical way, but mm, probably not. Possibly not. <laughs> and I have to put my hands up and say I don't know about the brands that I have bought from in the past and how they manufacture their leather. Yeah, but you fall into pretty much ninety nine point nine percent of yeah. the population in that sense. So, so whether the people that were worked in those factories and manufacturers had, you know issues after because they've worked with toxic chemicals i don't know which this is something to think about and this is why this podcast exists so we think about it and we can now research the products that we we use and the brands that we buy from and and figure out you know where that comes from so it's got a negative impact on human health it's got a negative impact on the aquatic ecosystems and then obviously then it can be inhumane for animals and the killing of animals but much like the meat industry, and we've spoken about this in the past, and we have a whole butchery episode coming up in this season as well. It is also to do with conscious consumption, but then also knowing where you're getting your products from. So mm-hmm. I'm sure there are lots of tanneries out there that do a good job at trying to do better for the environment yeah. and also for their people. So we have to take that into account. Yeah. And also as time goes on. And we're in a different world now. I was literally about to say that, you know, yeah. people are more interested in where their products come from. And even the producers are more interested in the people rather than just the bottom line. Yeah, which is amazing. So yeah, that's something on leather. I want to talk about trainers quickly. I recently just bought a new pair of trainers. I'm not really a trainer person. Yeah, neither was I until the pandemic. And I'm still not a trainer person, but my feet can't go into a heel anymore. Uh... I'm just like, oh, why did I ever do this to myself? (laughs) (laughs) So trainers fall into kind of the luxury leather goods market Mm -hmm. as well. And there are some really crazy stats around trainers. So according to the World Footwear Yearbook, over 24 billion pairs of shoes in general are produced annually. Huh? Yeah. That's what, three, four times the number of people? Yeah, which is wild. And so many of these shoes go into landfill because let's think about shoes. When we have a pair of shoes, trainers as an example, we use them, we wear them to death, and then we throw them away. Mm. They go somewhere. On a completely different note, just in terms of shoes and the composition, it's probably for a whole other episode, but the recyclability of a trainer or a shoe 
is, or just shoes in general, is just so much lower than anything else because of the composition. There's normally so many different factors and pieces of different textiles that goes into making a shoe product. Really? So, yeah. So in terms of taking them completely apart, it's very hard. There's a couple of new innovations coming out and I've seen some things, but I'm not going to name names or brands. But yeah, there's brands that are starting to do things where they're using existing products to create trainers. And then hopefully they do like a buyback scheme essentially where after six months, which I don't think is even that long, to be fair, you buy a pair of shoes, you want it to last longer than six months, Mm. but you can take it back in and swap for another pair and then they break those down and make another pair that then goes back into the cycle. The thing about a pair of trainers though, compared to like, a pair of stilettos, let's say. You can get your heel re rehealed in a stiletto. You can change the sole of a trainer as well. But the front of the trainer creases. And there are ways that you can counteract that a little bit. But once they're worn, they're worn. It's like they're made to quickly look bad. Battered. And then, <laughs> then you move on. So the production of trainers, fun fact, not so fun actually, accounts for 1.4% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah, I only learnt that last week. And as well as leather, they have a heavy dependency on plastic as well. Mm -hmm. Plastic and leather really go hand in hand in so many ways. It's quite sad. It's all about figuring out how we can push the life cycle of the products. I'm going to move now to a little interview I did with Emily Rhea, who's the co-founder of The Restory, the world's first aftercare platform. We came across them... A few years back. A few years ago, because we found their social media... And they made the most beautiful, like watchable ASMR kind of vibe videos of restoring products. My um, favourite were those Manolos that they changed the colour and I was just like... White to that. black. Yeah. yeah. No, white to... Uh, yellow. Oh, I, I the watched the white ones. to black one this morning. Yeah, the yellow ones were cool. Yeah, they basically restore design... Well, not just designer goods, but... Yeah, accessories ex- and footwear. Quality goods. So you can get like your Chanel bag touched up. My vintage Prada bag, I carried way too much heavy stuff in there. (laughs) And the um, stitchings come a little bit loose on one of the sides. And I knew the day, I can visually remember when it happened. And I was like, oh, this might be a bit too much to put in this bag. But I'm sure it's fine. But then, yeah, there's a bit of stitching. So I'm going to take it there and get them to do it. But that is really exciting because they are experts in luxury goods. So... There are other places that I'm sure do do this across the world, but they are the first of its kind in our market. And we're going to hear from yeah Emily about everything that they're doing because it's really exciting. Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. So let's talk about the restaurant. What is the brand? How did it get started? Tell me the story. Yeah, so the restaurant was very much kind of the first aftercare business to really align and and brand aftercare and give you that experience that is a lot more akin to the experience that you have when you buy a luxury or generally any product. Then once you own that piece, it tended to be when we started about six years ago, that you were then solely responsible, you didn't know where to take it, what to do and what we wanted to do was build a brand that not only gave you trusted aftercare, so we really made sure that that quality was there, but actually gave you that experience as well with an aftercare. And that was really fundamentally missing. So we wanted to just remove all the barriers and, and give everyone a great experience that they can trust so that they can increase the longevity of their products. 
I love that. I found you on Instagram over lockdown. So I stumbled across some of your videos, which were like repainting a shoe, changing things or bags being completely restored. And I found them really soothing to watch. So I've only become aware of you in the last, yeah, two years. But when did you launch? So we launched back in, I want to say, 2017. At that time, to be honest, sustainability was not, everyone wasn't so focused on it in fashion at that time. So I look after the marketing and the business development and I remember talking to brands and it really was not a focus in the sense of the way that they were looking at it. Also, I think historically, aftercare had a quite a bad reputation, you know, again, untrustworthy, not the experience that brands want to align themselves with. So we really set out to prove that it can be done in a, a way that, aligns with the brand, but also can actually improve the customer experience and deepen that relationship with them. Some people discover us through Selfridges, Harrods, or as you with social media. And I love, you know, Lucy, who does our social media, is absolutely amazing. And what we really recognised was that people wanted to see the behind the scenes. And that is actual videos that our artisans take of the restoration. And they've just sort of got clips where they can attach their phone and, and you can see what they're doing. And as you say, it's it's mesmerising. But what was really important for us from a marketing point of view was for you to actually see that it's all done by hand. And I think that's something that's been forgotten with the aftercare industry. You think a fix should be a quick fix, it should be a cheap fix, yeah. and it shouldn't cost more than the, the making of. And actually, when you start to watch this, and that's why it's been really important that we show the skill, the care, and the hard work that goes into it. And every single one is different, as you'll see. So it's bespoke, yeah. it's much more bespoke than production and making of the item and actually it's really important to understand that there is so much time and craft and skill that goes into that and as you watch it you start to see you know not only are you painting it but you've got to prep it before it's painted and you've got to finish it afterwards and there's a lot of work that goes into that hand mixing matching color it's an incredible skill and yeah we're very fortunate to have a lot of talented people in the team and it's about making sure that that learning and that skill gets shared and continues to grow because I think that's a part of aftercare that again is kind of left behind and we really want to make sure we're continuing to build the next generation of artisans. The thing that Bianca and I loved about the restory was that this isn't like a new job. Restoring and repairing goods has been around forever. There are still incredible artisans and business owners that have built these strong legacy businesses that aren't really used as much anymore to restore old things like shoes cobblers and, and things like that and I think a business like yours that has a lot of social media presence is important because it highlights a business that has been around forever a skill that in the world of fast fashion isn't really taken into account no and to your point I think what's really important to highlight around our business is we built an internal atelier of artisans because that was not available on the market. So in terms of the restoration and the colour matching, that was not something that we could find at a quality and at a scale that we could provide then our partners and our customers. So we built that in-house. But fundamentally, our business is actually about outsourcing it to people that have built and have these independent spots that then the difficulty is connecting it to people. So exactly as you say, people are then not using them. And actually, it's not for want of need. I mean, every single shoe that you buy will need a reheal. It will need a resole. So it's not that you don't need it. It's actually the, the challenge and the barrier to get to it. So, you know, if you have to go out of your way 
get 20 minutes wherever you need to go in the middle of your week, drop it off, then you get a paper ticket, then don't lose that paper ticket. Don't forget about it. Then remember to go back. Suddenly it becomes this sort of, oh my God, I haven't quite got round to it. And oh God, last winter's boots, I haven't done them yet. And it becomes a barrier. So what we were doing was not only building the brand to connect with brands and customers and really make that um, something that people want again and, and really making it desirable, but actually also connecting them back to the suppliers and the repairers. And that's through the technology and the systems that we've built. So our cobbler is outsourced, all our clothing repairers are outsourced, and it's about supporting that industry and enabling them to access the volume that continues to make that a viable business. Because if you're waiting for everyone to walk down your street and go in, a lot of people don't operate like that anymore. You expect it on demand, you book your Uber, you book your shopping delivery, all these things are at the touch of a button. And yet the repair business has stayed in that legacy. And that's what we were looking to do. So we also connect up all the repairers and give them access to volume at scale in a viable way for them to be able to deliver that service. That's amazing. So let's move on to leather. So leather has a bit of a bad rep in the environmental space, mainly because of the it being an animal product. I want to talk about how you restore lots of incredible leather goods and expensive leather goods. So let's talk about how it's restored in an eco-friendly way. And then also what kind of products do the team use? And does that set you aside from maybe more traditional repairers? Or is it, you know, something that's been around for a long time? So I think the important thing with leather is the way that it is treated will dictate how it needs to be repaired. It sounds obvious, but a lot of people can forget. There are no pink and blue cows out there. So leather will come off and be taken to a tannery and then it will be treated, it will be coloured and there'll be chemicals used to get that into a place that then it is made into whatever that is, shoes, bags, clothing. And the finish and all those things are then what dictates how it needs to be repaired. So, for example, patent and the product that is used to do that, metallics, mirrored metallics, all of that dictates how it has to be repaired. And the chemicals that use mean that fundamentally we then need to use those similar sort of chemicals and approaches to be able to repair it. So what we look at as a business is providing a repair and a restoration to extend the life of that product. And that product has already been created. And where that product has been created in a more sustainable way or eco-friendly way, I should say, so like veg tan, that then becomes just more of a stain and things that don't need as much restoration or products or layers of pieces to finish that off. So we are approaching it dependent on the way that it has been manufactured and that does impact how it is restored. What for us as a priority is being able to provide a service that then means that it's as invisible as possible. You may see it depending on the original damage or the type of product it is. But for us, it's about making sure that the customer has it and it lasts longer because what we really respect is, as you say, that started from an animal. It's gone through all, whether that is a tannery, there are then lots of people that play a part in that process. Then you've got designers, then you've got makers, then you've got, you know, the shoppers. It goes through a whole process. And for us, I think the the worst thing we can imagine is that someone damages it and just goes, right, well, that's it. I'm just going to chuck it away. 
And for us, that focus has been very much on making sure that we can restore and repair and extend the life of that product. As you say, it's got a bad rep in terms of the process to get there and how that impacts the environment. So I think right now, while brands continue to make products in that way, the most important thing we can do is make sure that they stay out of landfill and actually they can continue to live on. And I think what's incredibly exciting about the growth of the circular movement is that now if if you restore something or you are feeling like you don't want it anymore, landfill doesn't have to be the option. It can be very much a rental or a resale and that can continue to live on in someone else's wardrobe. Yeah, that's so true. The longevity of the product, that's something that I find quite interesting because there's an idea that luxury goods are made to last, but you've mentioned that if you don't look after them, they're not going to (laughs) last. Once a product has been restored, how long will these products last after you've restored them? Is there now a new shelf life or does it continue from its like original time? We will restore it like the original product. If you buy a bag... There is no guarantee what that will last like. It will last as you choose to wear it. What we find, and I'm just as guilty, especially now I've had a baby, you throw so many things in your bag. And even if they're big, so the Celine trapeze, beautiful, big bag, you kind of think, oh my God, I'm just going to check my laptop in. I've got my book. I've got my wallet, my phone, all these things that I need. And actually, it's not really designed for that. The way that you wear your items is going to impact how they last. The way that you store them, Are they stored and they stuffed? Are they in a damp area? Are they next to artificial heat like a radiator? Do they get wet? Are you then trying to dry them? All these things will impact the longevity. And the brand cannot really be responsible for that wear and tear, I believe, in the sense that if you decide to completely trash your bag and that was not designed for that, then it's very difficult for them to say, well, it didn't last as long as it should. At the same time the care that you take with it will increase that longevity. And what we like to say is little and often is the key piece here. So leather is a skin, it will dry out. We always recommend moisturising. So there's carnauba cream, which is a type of cream that is great for leather. And if you put that on your leathers, it will help stopping them from drying, cracking, and that increases longevity handbags on the straps you often have if you've got sort of two pieces of raw leather they'll finish it with something called edging now when that starts to crack it's great if you send it in we sand it down we replace it and that really strengthens handles now if that cracks and you just leave it and it starts to peel off your leather handles are going to start to stretch because they don't have the strengthener and then that will need to be replaced and it can't be restored. So there's lots of things that you want to consider in how you care for your items and the little and often that you send them in to be restored, cleaned, polished, you know, all these things that help make them last longer rather than waiting until they're totally destroyed. Also from a cost point of view, it's it's much more cost effective to reheal your shoes before you've completely worn them down. And I think it's also about getting into that habit. Usually the first time we receive items, they're pretty damaged. Someone's maybe waited and we're all busy. But once we send them back, you kind of look at them and go, God, they look great. Yeah. And we say, you know, next time, When that heel starts to wear down, it'll be much more cost effective. It'll be much quicker and they'll last longer if we just replace the heel tip. So in terms of how long it lasts, 
That is very much like the original. If we're going to restore the bag and you refill it and you scuff it and you put it on the floor of restaurants and bathrooms, I do it too, don't worry, then it will pick up stains again. But it's it's not that it's going to peel off or something's going to happen to it. It's genuinely the wear and tear as you originally bought it. Something I think a lot of us forget is that leather goods do come under warranty a lot of the time from the brands. Yeah. I don't think we are aware as consumers of what we're able to do with our products. We think about this in terms of luxury. Luxury goods are generally seen as worth restoring and sent in. But do you think we should be also looking at just like normal everyday goods? So I think first in response to your warranty question, I think that's really important. And I do think that you should fully be aware of your warranties. Now, when a product is faulty and there is a problem with it, or you're within warranty, we always recommend go back to the brand first and see what they can do. Often with brands, some brands do provide that restoration, but often what they will do is they will either replace the panel or just find you a replacement of the whole product. So in terms of how they approach that, it is not that they all have set up a restoration team and an aftercare team because Really, in all truthfulness, it actually runs in a very different type of way as a business. A service business is much more complex. The back and forth process, then you need a whole dedicated team. The approach to restore, for example, a corner or or a panel is very different to taking a whole piece of leather and then cutting it up and making a bag. So you need quite a different approach. You need quite different sort of materials, skill sets. It's a different set up for training. It's a very complex business to scale. And what the restory offer is a white label service. So if they want to outsource it to us or if they want to use our technology or if they want to officially partner with us and do it, which which we do with brands as well. So we do provide that support with brands and retailers if they want to outsource that. If they want to scale that up themselves, then it's also whether they've got it to the scale to actually talk about because If a brand publicly starts to communicate that they offer this, which some do, Mulberry, for example, have done that, as soon as they publicly announce that they do that, there is a huge influx that comes in and whether they can manage that quantity. So, I mean, personally, I've always been, and in my family, we've just grown up with always repairing everything. And it's something that's just been ingrained in us where whatever we have... It doesn't actually matter how old it is or how expensive it was. We've just always looked to repair it. And for me personally, it's I've always had quite an emotional relationship with my items and my products. And I think that emotion is what then drives me to invest in repair. So it's how you approach that piece. If you're purely looking at it as a financial value and you say, well, these next shoes are £40, should I spend £30 on repairing them? and getting a new toe piece and a reheal, then you might say, well, net, net, that's only £10. That's ridiculous. But if you say, do you know what? I love these shoes. They go with everything. They're really comfy. Of course you're going to spend it. It's much harder to find the perfect pair of shoes than it is just the financial value that you spent on them. When you bought them, you desired them. And it's about extending that and making sure that we keep that instead of just thinking, I'll chuck them. doesn't matter. They were only £40. I think it's about that shift. And therefore, I think everything is worth repairing. Yeah, I totally agree. I've been the same until I um, started the podcast. I didn't realise how much I actually did that was deemed sustainable. But thank you, Emily. This was so great to learn more about the brand and also just yeah have your insight 
into what we should be doing around leather. And if we were to hunt down the brand on the internet, where would we find you? So what you can do with the restory, you can either come to us direct, which is the hyphen restory.com, book a collection. As I was saying about taking away all those barriers, we just come and collect it from your house, your office, wherever is easy for you. So just pile up everything you need. We do everything from cleaning for clothes, shoes, bags, repairing, restoring, altering, reimagining. So you can do that or you can take it to our partners. So drop it off in Selfridges across the country, Harvey Nichols across the country, Harrods, Farfetch, you can go online. Browns, you can go online. If you're in Ireland, you can go to Brown Thomas and Arnott's. Or you can go to Nicholas Kirkwood and Manolo Blanique. Oh my goodness, you're literally taking over. This is amazing. <laughs> well, we want to make it just easy for everyone. You know, if you're popping into Selfridges, why not just drop off your shoes at the same time and just stop that barrier? You know, we ask our customers why they don't do aftercare. And a lot of that can be getting around to it or not being aware of the capabilities. But at the same time, they are really passionate about it. Yeah, totally. Oh, fantastic. I found that really eye-opening, actually. I didn't know that they did that much and that they went to that length to source all the different things, to fix bags and shoes. But um, should we move on to... The sustainability score. Yeah, sustainably influenced sustainability score. Yeah. <laughs> so, this one... It's interesting because do we want to do the individual give, types of I was going to say, can we yeah. give three different scores? Okay, so let's start with animal leather. How would we score animal leather in terms of sustainability? Five. 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 I'm going for a five. I'll join you there. Because I feel like I'm very in the middle because I, I use and have bought and consume. <laughs> it shouldn't be per like, you can... S- I, I feel like on this one, I feel like I need to make it a personal one. Okay, I would say you can own up and be like, you know, if you shop at Pretty Little Thing and you know it's not sustainable, you're not going to give it a five. No, 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 no. Even though you shop there, you know? No, that no, I know. Vibe. But in that sense, because I don't really have a problem with leather per se, mm. but the production and the ethics are questionable. That's why I'm saying it's a personal one. That's why okay. I'm a bit like me. I've got shit. I like leather. I think it lasts longer. Cool. I'm going to give it a five simply because it is actually a middle ground in terms of, it's always the same thing, but depending on who's doing it, it depends on whether or not it's good. I'm a big fan of the secondhand leather market Mm. and just making things better. Like I've bought pieces in the past that just needed a slight paint or sometimes a steam. Yeah, that 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 blue coat. coat. I love that coat. Yeah, I haven't done anything with it, but I still have it. Plastic free vegan leather. I'm going to give that an eight I was thinking an eight or a nine Mm. even and I'm giving it it's tipping to a nine for me because we know I love innovation (laughs) (laughs) so that's that's why I'm saying it could be a nine yeah again it's to do with what the product is and how it's manufactured Mm -hmm. but yeah it's definitely the best option in my opinion and then what was the other one PVC or plastic based vegan leather I'm just pulling faces because I've always had a problem with PVC. I personally think it's a six. I was going to say three. Ooh. Yeah. I just think how it's made, longevity, everybody's screaming about it, saying that it's great when it isn't necessarily better. That's just, yeah. On my side, I think 
<laughs> I'm going to give it a six. And I think because of the recycling element and the kind of reusing of old products, I think it can be great. There is so much plastic that's already out there. Like, let's use it for something. If you're using recycled items, I'll give it a six or a seven. Okay. If we're just talking about plastic-based vegan leather, as in they're making using, using virgin it, yeah. plastic to make it, they get a minus number from me. The but, seriousness in this lady's face. I'm vexed. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just, I just don't. I just don't with it. I don't know what it is. I've always had a problem against it. Always, and I've got PVC. I've got stuff that is, but every time I look at it, I'm like, oh. most of the stuff that I've got is probably, I would say, now probably vintage, but it's virgin plastic. It would never have been recycled mm. because. Recycled plastic hasn't been talk of the town until the past, like, what, four years? In that case, we have a five for animal leather. We have a eight, eight for, plastic, for free. plastic free. And then we have a, a medium. I'd say five as an average between us. An average of five for plastic, plastic based leather. Interessante. Yes. Let us know what you think on Instagram in terms of the score because I don't know if I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I like it's up for debate and it's yeah, a one. Debate with me, people. What yeah, are your love thoughts? It. Okay, we will see you guys next week. Yeah, have a good week. Bye. Bye. Sustainably Influenced is hosted by Charlotte Williams and me, Bianca Foley. This season was produced by Content is Queen, sound edited by Amber Miller. And a big thanks to our researcher, Anna Stoney. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.